Blog Talk Radio.
Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing underprivileged children with basic necessities of life. I am also a board-certified integrated holistic health energy psychology, positive psychology, and energy and vibrational sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where From the Heart Radio streams to you live each and every week, bringing you optimistic and uplifting information from interesting people people who are making a positive impact in our world. And today is a really big deal. It is the United Nations International Day of Peace, 
and it is World Gratitude Day. It's also a big deal because we are very fortunate and most grateful to be speaking with Sandy Hart, an award-winning leader in the fields of women's empowerment and interfaith community building. She founded the Women's Interfaith International Grassroots Organization, SARA, the Spiritual and Religious Alliance for Hope, on the morning of 9-11 through an instinctive instinctive divide to gather women of diverse faiths to protect all that they considered sacred, now in its 20th year. She founded and served as director of Charter for Compassion's Women and Girls Sector, chaired the United Religions Initiative for North America, and serves on the Women's Task Force for the Parliament of World Religions. She is also the founder of Compassionate California, which recently became established into law as the first compassionate state in the world by the governor's office. Currently, Sandy is being induced into the Women's Oral History Library of Claremont Colleges. And on this most auspicious day, Sandra is joining us to discuss her recently launched book, The Liminal Odyssey, The Alchemical Power of the Space in Between. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you so much for taking time to be here. It really is such a pleasure to have you here on From the Heart Radio. How are you being? Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Happy International Day of Peace and Ceasefire is the full name of that day, according to the UN uh, General Council. And how am I being? I'm being fine. I'm so happy to be here. I'm just doing great. Thank you. I'm following my bliss, and it led me right to you. Oh, that's great. Oh, I, I like it because your name is Sandy Hart with T-Love and From the Heart Radio. It just works. <laughs> it's meant to be. It's time. That's right. <laughs> yes, it is. You know, your book, The Liminal Odyssey, you have received nothing but five-star ratings on Amazon. So kudos to you. That's huge, and it speaks loudly as to your message. That really has to feel good. <laughs> oh, well, it sure does. I mean, it's nice to know that it resonates and it hopefully touches a part of us that, you know, it hasn't been touched yet in a different way and um, fires a little. All I know is it tickles me every time I see it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're quite welcome. I'm going to ask you the first question I ask everybody who comes on the show. What brought Mm. you to write your book, The Liminal Odyssey? Mm. Wow. Well, you know, I set out actually to tell a story that my friends friends have been urging me to tell for about 15 years. And it was this little human interest story, or so I thought, of this experience that I had in 1982 at a no rally and music festival called Peace Sunday in Southern California at the Rose Bowl. So imagine a football stadium filled with people on the field, in the stands, um, coming to talk about nuclear disarmament. And I started a little movement that morning that was a result of something that was that was stirring in me that I could not ignore. And I'm happy to tell you that story, but I do want to answer your question on what led me to tell this, what led me to write the book. Um, I I I've tried to sit down to write this book several times over, you know, probably 15 or so many years, and I just didn't have enough of a book to write. You know, yesterday it was interesting; people loved it, and when they heard it, and have been urging me to tell the story and write a book about it, but I just couldn't fill up a chapter let alone maybe a couple of pages, you know, that I, I, I'm just not that kind of writer. I never thought I was a writer, actually. 
And then about a year and a half ago, I heard this word liminal. And besides it being a clunky word to say, and I, I, I learned it to mean threshold. It's the space between here and there. It's the, it's the, it's the place between crisis and action, the limit and choice, um, a moment of being triggered and how you respond to it. Or it could be, you know, a heartbreak waiting to see what the real reason for that heartbreak is. Or it could be at the evolutionary growth spurt we are in right now as a society. We are in a liminal space together right now because we are moving out of a society that no longer serves us, moving into one that's hopefully going to be much better. And that's that's a whole other conversation. But But when I started really learning about this word liminal and thinking about it, this came at the same time as me trying to expand on what happened in in 1982. And before I knew it, I started thinking about, well, what was going on inside of me? What was my call to action and my reaction to it? And why did that happen? And where did that condition come from? And then what's come from it? And then, see, before I knew it, I had 11 more stories that I had discounted as oh, kind of interesting or you know, maybe mundane, but definitely stories I'd remembered. But as I started writing about them, they went from mundane to miraculous. That is sort. That's the short story of where this. And the book wrote me, I should say. But to answer your question, it's not an easy one to answer because while I set out to tell one story, it became something very different. And then when I was done with the book, I stepped back and looked at it and said, wow, there's even more here than I thought. And it turned out to be a philosophy, uh, um, an expansion on a philosophy that um, apparently it's time for. Well, it's interesting because it's so, your book is, you know, it's a journey, you know, like Homer about the wanderings of Odysseus during the 10 years after the fall of Troy. But this book, your book, The Liminal Odyssey, is the 12 real stories from your life. And not you just don't have 12. There are a lot. But these are your life experiences. And we as the reader, or I, actually I should say I as one reader, <laughs> can see how mm-hmm. they're woven together. There's somewhat of a, like a common thread, the liminal the pause we take, um, you know, in between is oftentimes the pivot point. Or like uh, mm-hmm. Van Gennep in his Rites of Passage had talked about liminal as being, you know, those times when you are at uh, separation and then transition and go into incorporation. So it, it mm-hmm. felt like that more, more than there's just stories. There's commonality to, to what was happening within each. And then the reflection of each of the experiences, you could notice a pattern was created, you know, as we, uh, or in the process of being created as we flow through life, that's where we'll find the sacred and the beauty as well as our inner guidance. And that was, I was feeling as I read your book, was that your intent? No, I just told my story and got out of my own way. (laughs) And that's what happened. Honestly, and I'm, you know, I come from a corporate world. I was director of sales and marketing um, for a major home builder before the morning of 9-11. And I got rewired. And, um, and so I went from, controlling bottom lines and sales markets and and sales flows. I don't even know the language anymore. <laughs> it's been so long. 
to and and grinding folks on their sales quotas to getting out of the way, learning what it meant to let the circle follow, letting learning what it meant to listen intently and with reverence. And so that sort of grew in me, um, you know, over time. But I've never known myself to be someone that got out of the way. I've always been – I take up a lot of air in a room. I, I'm i always chair of something because I, you know, I am a systems thinker and I can get things done. But, but for what it's worth <laughs> – I didn't plan on it, but that's what happened. So I'm I'm honored that you that you you just you just that was disclosed for you as well. Well, I think the key to it was that you got out of the way. When we yeah, get out of the way, amazing thing things happen. Yeah, it's a hard thing to do, and when you do it and you don't even know you're doing it, that's when it's really authentic. That's when it's real. And you were doing it and getting out of the way so that things were flowing through you, and it was just you said you're not a writer. I read the book. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, thank you. It yeah. takes a lot of humility, doesn't it? It really takes a lot. And I love your opening song, you know, being grateful. Um, it takes a lot of gratitude and a lot of humility. And, um, you know, I, and I think it's time we clean up our act and be honest with who we are. And, and that was disclosed to me a lot in the process of writing the book, too. Yeah, that's that's pretty apparent in everything that's happening in the world too. It's it it is time to, you know, <laughs> get our act together. But in your book, yeah. each chapter is a separate story. It's separate. It's real. These are your life experiences. And at the end of each chapter, and I don't know what to call this, you offer. They're not really lessons, but they're certainly motivating information that helps the reader to go deeper. Not necessarily into your journey, but more to apply what you've offered to their own life story. And I really like that a lot. It's thought-provoking. It invokes wonder. And I can see how that would foster aha moments for the reader as they, you know, perhaps are reminded of similar circumstances in their own life experience. So what, if any, feedback have your readers provided regarding, regarding aha moments of their own after having read your book? Have you heard anything? So vast. It's really interesting um, to hear what what inspires people or what reminds people of stories or what um, what people wake up to in their own story. And this is this is my end goal, my end hope. The only thing I could hope for with this book, besides the opportunity to appease my friends finally and write the story, the first chapter, but um, but also that you come to an, under, an understanding of disclosure and discovery of your own authentic self, your own planetary assignment. And to your point, and I think I forgot your question already, I'm so sorry, but to your point about the the second part of each chapter, it was just me explaining what was going on inside of me, whether it was reverent listening or the trust frequency or mindfulness or neuroplasticity or or, or what have you, healing intergenerational trauma. And when I pulled those out, because when I was when I was when the book, you know, was pretty much done, and I looked at the chapters, I first looked at them as the. I thought maybe this is the hero's journey. Maybe I could frame this in the hero's journey. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, and it just missed the mark. And then when I pulled out the um, the the these 
skills or, or, or these methodologies or modalities that you mentioned that is in, you know, the, in the, the second part of every chapter, uh-huh. um, I notice that as I'm writing this book, I'm like practicing them and reminding them because I'm editing them, moving you know, paragraphs around and everything, so I'm in it. And I'm paying attention to you know, the, the conditions of awareness and attitude and questioning assumptions and all of, you know, all of these things that are mentioned in the book. I'm paying attention to everything at once. And it, I discovered soon after the book was completed that, wow, a lot of my personality has changed in how I respond to things. Um, I've lost five pounds, now ten. I've, 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 and this is on a diet book. I'm not suggesting to anybody that this is a diet book because it might not work right. that way for you. But, but these are conditions that I started, and I, I'm not so quick to respond. I assume what asking people. I'm just a, like even my husband said, you know, after after one incident where I may have flipped my lid, um, he said, "Wow, this is a new, this, too, this is Sandy." 2.0. I'm like, you know, I get it. I get because I have 300 books on my bookshelf. Each of them have a different modality. Many of them I've mentioned in the book. But practicing them together is the secret sauce. And that coherence amongst them that's greater than the sum of their parts. So, so I'm sorry, this is a very, I remember your question, this is a very long way of answering it. Some people have said they put that to practice in that way, and they're starting to see results in how they view things. It's like it's like changing the filter on how they see the world and how they see themselves and their circumstances. So that's one of the uh, areas. Another is, um, as someone just told me the other day, she goes, I'm seeing heart-shaped rocks everywhere because I do have a chapter yeah, yeah. on that. And I go, <laughs> a lot of people do um do like to find heart shaped rocks. But mm-hmm. her her point was I'm always looking for heart shaped rocks but I, I only find them when I look for them. Now I don't even I you know subconsciously I'm you know paying more attention to the world and the world around me and the things I would otherwise pass by. So her attentiveness in the world is peaked and it's showing up in terms of rocks, you know, heart shaped stones, but sure. it, it can be anything. It can be anything you're, you're needing to pay attention to. So I love that. So the awareness is there. You, you did answer the yeah. question because they, they are having the aha moments. They might not call them that, but they are having those moments because their awareness has increased over certain things. And I don't collect heart shaped rocks, but I do find them. I've got a slew of them on my windowsill above my kitchen sink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's interesting. Things, Please continue. I'm sorry. You're getting me excited here. <laughs> yeah, I know you're passionate. I think it's great. No, that's it's great. You know, when I turned the page to chapter one, I said to myself, oh, look, Chokeray. There was the Reiki symbol staring right at me. Mm-hmm. And as I continued to read, I recognized the symbols for each chapter. You know, that was very clever. It set a tone for the chapter, at least for me. Then I got to the end of the book, and there were all the symbols laid out, so the readers who are not familiar would be able to understand, you know, that there is a reason they are included. That was a really cool addition. What made you think yeah. to add those symbols? Well, thank you. Um, not everybody notices them, and that's okay. 
but um, I, you know, I thought, well, let me put a little pretty swirl or something on top of every chapter title or what have you, like a like a watermark or something. And I thought, you know, maybe just a symbol. And I, I had Ohm up there as a chapter heading for all of them, or the symbol for every chapter heading. And then one morning, it, the book was already at the interior designers. You know, that they're the they're the folks who make it pretty for you know yep. before it goes to print. And um, and at, and at two o'clock in the morning, I got an idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh wait, every chapter has its own energy, a symbol for every chapter, and that was fun. That didn't take me very long. The intention now. Something came from that, and this is what I love about synchronicities. Cultivating synchronicities is a chapter too, right? It's also a skill to practice. And it's so important because I think that's how spirit, God, almighty, whatever you identify with, speaks to us in synchronicities in these messages, right? As well as hearts and stones and Mm -hmm. (laughs) symbols on trees and whatever gets to your attention. Anyway, um, the, the, um, the, now I forgot what I was saying because you got me so excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> you guys, you so know, the chapters. catches you on fire here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so the synchronicity that emerged from the symbols in the chapter, I had reached out to a friend of mine who is a Native American flute maker, and she's also a, in the circles of indigenous peoples. She's a uh, rather famous musician you know she plays her flutes for the elders and on ceremony and so on um around north america anyway and um and i was thinking okay i'm i'm recording the audiobook now and i'm gonna ask um jerry little john if i can use one of her songs to lace through the the um you know the chapters to kind of bridge mm-hmm. one chapter from the other and play behind certain poems and things like that. And she says, you know, I just read your book, and I love the idea of the symbols in the chapter, and I get it. They resonate with every, you know, energy of every chapter. She goes, I think you actually need a different song for every chapter, and I think I need to record an album for you. So she composed and has recorded an album for the Liminal Odyssey based on what those symbols you know, and you know, inspired. That's so really cool. That's that's being in the liminal space. That's that's recognizing the miracle in the mundane. Oh, it's just an idea to put a symbol on a chapter. But then I listened. I practiced reverent listening, and I was aware. And I said, okay, I need to put one on every chapter that's different. And then that brought that you know opportunity for me to have Jerry do that. So. Is that uh, an yeah. album that's going to be available to the public? Yes, it is. And she's, I believe she's sending in the studio. I don't know what post-production looks like, but, um, yeah, so we're supposed to talk soon. But hopefully, in, you know, the very near future, uh, there will be that an would audio be book really neat. Yeah, yeah, that would be really neat, especially if it could come out before the holidays. Make sure you tell Dia so she can tell me so I can get the CD. <laughs> Well, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I, I'll make sure she knows that. So, you know, yeah, it's really um, magical. Yeah, I, yeah, I would say it is. And it's funny how things just come about and, and they happen, you know. That's definitely guidance, you know. So that's really pretty cool. But your whole book is like that. As a matter of fact, as you go through it and read it, 
it's not that it's in order, but it seems to be in some type of order that you start with listening and then go to time, timefulness and then sacrifice and bliss and on and on for the 12 chapters. It just seems to flow that way. Did you write each chapter separately or did you, you know, and then put it together or was it just, it just flowed that way naturally as you were writing? A little of both. And actually one chapter wrote itself in real time. And that was a yep. chapter on Hard Kids Rocks where I was sitting on the beach and that was a whole experience. Um, and um, so, no, it wasn't that natural or organic in that way. I did move chapters around. Um, but I, it only because I was paying attention to my body. And I'm like, how does this feel? Okay, it would be more powerful and I can actually, you know. So I did move things around a little bit. Um, based on what was feeling right. I took sentences out. I took stories out. It just, I, there was just a little nagging irritant that it wasn't supposed to be there. And so, again, all of that came from practicing body awareness, practicing reverent listening. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of Yeah, a, using your chaotic. intuition. It was something of chaotic nature. You know, it's chaos okay. and order at the same time. It was very uh-huh. messy. It was very messy um, and very fun, very <laughs> fun. And I had an, an editor slash magic woman who was pretty much hands off in in terms of, um, I mean, she was there for me 100%, and she inspired me, and she was just like, you know, maybe you, you know, what does it mean when you say this? So she would help me elaborate a little bit here and there. Um, she really was magic. She knew me, and she knew what needed to come out. And um, I guess the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, it did. Did you find that writing the book was somewhat cathartic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was cathartic. It was surprising. It was delightful. It, it tickled me. It made me cry. Um, you know, I, in my my gratitude and Thanksgiving section where I thank all the many people who helped me pull this off, um, it, it, I, you know, Dowdy Dora was always at my heels. <laughs> I think her too, you know? So, um, yeah, it certainly was. It certainly was. I, and it I, felt like know. it probably would be. You know, I think everybody should like write about Yeah. Or try. Everybody yep. should do that. Even if you don't publish it, just write it for yourself. They have those books that you can get your life experience or something like that, that you can, your life story, you know? The greatest life story, and then you can put in whatever you want. It is very cathartic. But yours is published, and it's here. And right now, it is time for our Soji Share. So we are sharing stories about kids from all over the globe who are doing amazing, creative, and most impressive things in this world. And we all know that history is full of young people who astounded the world with their thoughts and their creations. People like Anne Frank and Mozart and Louis Braille. But also often we hear people say things like the kids today are lazy or they're always on their phone, they don't care, they're self-absorbed, they don't get involved. And those generalizations are just so not true. There are children all over the planet who are living proof that the kids today are just as motivated. They are just as creative and focused and passionate as they have ever been. And our goal at SojiKids.org is to provide goods and services for underprivileged children. In so doing, 
Soji is spreading joy, hence our name Soji, an acronym for sharing our joy intentionally. And this week, our Soji share is Cassandra Lynn. This kid's amazing. <laughs> At the age of 14, she was a Rhode Island resident. Cassandra Lynn was inspired to take action after she discovered that people in her own town could not afford to heat their homes. And in New England, the winters can be extremely harsh. And I know this is true because I'm from Massachusetts. Well, Cassandra couldn't imagine how many families were struggling to heat their homes. But when you live in a small town, you know, everybody knows each other. And very soon she learned just how many were struggling and she wanted to do everything she could to help her community. Then she attended a science expo, and that's where she learned that everyday cooking oil could be turned into biofuel. So she took that information, and she started small. She went to restaurants who were paying a company to dispose of the cooking oil that they amassed each month. But Cassandra convinced them to donate their cooking oil to be recycled, and they did. The Newport Biodiesel accepts the oil, processes the oil, and then donates the proceeds to local charitable organizations who distribute the oil to families in need of heating assistance. And between 113 restaurants participating in the program, as well as the nine residential recycling centers that they have set up in five different towns, they were collecting over 4,000 gallons of grease per month. 100% of the proceeds go towards emergency heating assistance. Now, she calls this project TGIF. TGIF means, uh, what does it mean here? Taking, turning uh, grease into fuel. And TGIF is a win-win situation. The environment wins because they're using biodiesel, a clean-burning alternative to petroleum-based diesel that we currently use to heat homes. And by the EPA's calculations, they project that TGIF has offset almost one and a half million pounds, one and a half million pounds of carbon dioxide from entering the atmosphere. That's a lot. The needy families win because they're being provided with the heat. And it really is win-win-win because the restaurants also win. They no longer need to pay a company to take away the cooking oil. They're donating it. So everybody's winning here. They have helped collect over 500,000 gallons of grease and generated 400,000 gallons of biodiesel that have donated 74,000 gallons of bioheat to heat the homes of 740 local families. So she decided that that wasn't enough. So she, was, she drafted and helped introduce a bill in the state of Rhode Island that mandates that all businesses must recycle their oil. And that bill was signed into law 10 years ago and went into effect on January 1st, 2012. So this has been going on for some time. She was only 14 when she started. And she said the most rewarding part of doing this kind of community service for her is knowing that every gallon of grease the program receives is turned into biodiesel to help economically stressed families. So all in all, Project TGIF has impacted the environment, the community, and not just the state of Rhode Island, but has expanded currently into Connecticut and Massachusetts as well. I find this to be an amazing story. There are so many kids doing so many good things, and this is the good stuff that is happening in our world, and this is the good stuff Soji focuses on and chooses to share with you each week. You know, when we focus on the good in the world, just, just by merely focusing on it, stories like this, it's so very positive and impactful in and of itself, and that alone makes the positive ripples even more enormous. 
So seek out the positive each day. Turn off the regular news. There's, there's nothing that's new. It's all the same stories being regurgitated over and over again. So look for the good because it's good for you and your mental health, and it's good for everyone else as well. And that is this week's Soji Share. So now we're going to go back to Sandy Hart, author of The Liminal Odyssey. And you can learn more about Sandy at her website, sandyhart.com. So go ahead and write that down now, S-A-N-D-E-H-A-R-T.com. And check out the site after the show. So, okay, Sandy, here we are. We're back. (laughs) I am so inspired by Anna and CGIF. I'm just bowing deeply to her. Isn't it crazy? I mean, you know, she's 14 years old, and she says, you know, I went to a, a science expo. I saw this, and... Talk about being triggered. Yeah. Oh, cluster. Yeah. 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 So anyway, we'll get back to your book. I want to know, I found that all experiences are important, but sometimes we don't give them the depth or the breadth that they're gifting to us. So of the 12 Mm -hmm. stories in your book, was there one that perhaps brought you an unexpected level of insight that really wasn't comparable to the story itself, like in a kind of, wow, that really impacted or influenced me more than I realized it could, did, or would kind of way? Oh, gosh. I mean, to some degree, every chapter surprised the pants off me. <laughs> every, I, if you don't mind me saying it that way, because I can't tell you how many times I grabbed my head and what, what was that that came out of my fingertips. Because it was, you know, what happens when you journal, right? That you, the spirit moves from your heart to your hand and mm-hmm. bypasses your cognitive skills and you talk yourself out of things as well as I knew my grandchildren one day would be reading this. So I had to be really clean and clear because they would call me a hypocrite one day, as would my, <laughs> my adult kids. <laughs> so I had to be really in my integrity and be impeccable with my words. I would have to say there were really two chapters that surprised me because I didn't realize, well, like I said across the board, I didn't realize how much was involved in each story until I wrote it out and started and couldn't stop writing more things about that one experience. But the the chap the chapter that I experienced that I was my experience at Lake Shrine is a. Um, it's a, it's a, a, a it's, it was built by Guru Paramahansa Yogananda, that, and he's made, he's most famous by his book, Autobiography of a Yogi, and Elvis, mm-hmm. and John Lennon made him very famous, celebrities really liked him, anyway, he has this property in Los Angeles, where I'm, you know, south of Los Angeles, where I'm at, and uh, for a silent retreat, and I had just been practicing the idea and understanding of mindfulness and understanding the thoughts happen outside of our, of our, the cells, you know. And so that means that we actually can create our reality if we are truly in alignment and believe it. And I had a couple of experiences there where I manifested some miracles. Um, and, the, and, um, that and as I'm writing, you know, I had forgotten about a couple of them actually. But as I was writing, I realized how much of a mirror they were and how much I was in control of that experience because I was, you know, paying attention to the. I, was, I had reverence for, you know, what, what my cells were capable of. And that was 
what I believed. So when you when you believe it, you will see it, not the other way around like we usually know that term. When you believe it, you will see it. And I had a couple of experiences there. And then the other, which I can speak a little bit more about, um, because I, I could take up the rest of this show talking about what happened at Lake Shrine, but um, probably the other one that I, I can share is, um, oh, no, now another one wants to be told. So you see how hard it is. It's like picking my favorite child. They all were, they all surprised and delighted me to no end that I just never realized it. That's why I think everyone should write a book so you really can get in, to, in between the scenes of what was going on in your life at that particular time and what did it bring you and where did it lead you and where did it come from and what does it mean and what might it bring you if you have, the, if you can trust in Cairo's time it will come. But I will answer your question respectfully, and that is the last chapter, which is an experience I had at Lake Shrine. I, I'm sorry, at uh, Auschwitz, and um, in Poland, where I was working on a project with the One Humanity Institute to develop a peace institute there on the grounds adjacent to the death camp of, of Auschwitz. And I had this experience where I um, had known about it. I had never written about it before. So I'm writing about this experience where I was, you know, I have a, I had a, I have a tendency to pay attention to trees. I'm not a tree person. I'm an ocean person, actually. Um, and I know that you can be a tree person, and tree people are really get offended if I call myself a tree person, and I'm not. So I have to be very clear there, because I know that they've seen a lot, right? Yeah. And I know that trees absorb a lot of energy, and um, also give off a lot. They're, they're, they're the lungs of our planet, right? And think about oh, how much muck they take in and how much carbon dioxide they put out. You know, they are the true mother archetype. And so while I'm walking through Auschwitz, I'm paying attention to the trees because these are real witnesses of they were really here, yeah? And uh, I didn't see a lot of older trees there. The streets were lined in... Um, younger trees, and there were some old weeping willows that were planted right after the camp was liberated in the parking lot, but that was really it, but it wasn't until I got over to the death camp over in Birkenau, um, which is just a mile or two away, um, where the ashes of the victims were disposed of um, at that place into the nearby river, And but I'm noticing the trees, and I find, I come across this gorgeous, big and she had to have been at least 100 years old. She was there, um, oak tree. And I and kind of pulled away from the pack of, you know, from our tour and and approached her, asked permission, and laid on a big hug, which is another thing I like to do. Mm-hmm. And I could almost feel her exhale. Then I heard what sounded like raindrops. And I looked down, and she was raining acorns on me. Mm-hmm. And I've never experienced that before. It just dumped a whole load on me. <laughs> and now somebody else might have just dismissed that. Yep. And yeah, and um, and it wasn't until I was writing this chapter that I realized that that's that's why that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that that would be chapter twelve because I was prepared for that moment having practice all of these skills, having 
experienced in real time in a cohesive manner all of these 12, uh, 11 and a half of these, if I could more or less, practices that I had been really putting into practice as I'm writing the book and um, and come to writing chapter 12 last because I just was putting it off because it was a difficult story to write. And mm-hmm. um, and and I was prepared at that moment to really know what was going on and really what that seed meant and grab my head when I came to the final, you know, summation of what the whole book probably was about, and that was being the sacred gardener of the seed in our pocket. We are all entrusted with the same potential that seed has. Its knowledge and wisdom are encoded in it, just like we are with a special, unique skill, just like Anna was. She's living her passion where her passions meet the needs in the world. There's her calling. She's living out a part of one of perhaps the, I don't know her, but maybe this is definitely a calling for now because look how what she's manifesting. So right. where do your passions meet the needs in the world? And for me, gardener of that seed in my pocket, and that's what my hope for everybody is. Do you still have the acorn? I do. Yeah, I would too. Oh, sure. I went to Oshawa. Oh, sure. um, I didn't go to Birkenau. Um, but I did go to Auschwitz, and I think it's someplace that everybody on the planet should have to go to once. Yeah. Yeah. You know, don't forget, people. Don't forget. We've had we've had similar things occurring recently, and it's like, please don't forget Nazi Germany. But that's another story that I can't get into right now. <laughs> well, and I would love your feedback at some time, maybe even if you'd write me a note to let me know what you thought about what I what I surmised, what the victims, what I heard the victims saying to me on the river's edge, um, because I heard loud and clear, we choose love. You oh, know, there's and, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even, I didn't go to Birkenau, but I was in Auschwitz, and I have to say, when I came home and people asked me, oh, that must have been depressing, I said, no, it wasn't. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I cannot explain this to you. This is why everybody should have to go there. It was not depressing. It was, it was not what I thought it was going to be. I wanted to do it immediately when we got to Poland because I wanted to end the trip on a good note. And I realized while I was there, it wouldn't have made a difference because it's how you lead there. It's what you feel from the energy that's there, from everything that went on. And while it was very quiet, all the tours that were going on, very, very quiet, depression was not the word. It just wasn't the word. It wasn't. I don't even believe I can say it was sorrow. It was something that you cannot forget. There was a heaviness. I just can't put it there. It's ineffable. There's not a word in the English language to describe it. So... You know, but you feel the energy of what was there, and you know when you walk away, you it has to be love. There has to be love. There it is all about love. You know that when you leave there, which is really odd to say because of the atrocities that happened there. Yeah. Unless you've gone there, I think you don't understand it. But I completely understand. When you said the tree rained acorns on you, I thought those are her tears. She's shedding them. That's what I got. Yeah. Um, yeah. And giving you, you know, and while saying thank you for the hug, for the love. You were giving her the love and showing her there is love in the world. So that's kind of what I was what I was thinking oh, as you yeah. were speaking. Because only because yeah. of the fact that I had been there as well. So yeah. Um but and now I'll get I back felt, to, I felt gratitude. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. You do. You do. Yeah. For it, it, it's weird to say. It's so good to talk to somebody who understands because people look at me yeah, like I, I have ten guilty. heads. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. felt guilty. Yeah, you do. That. And my cousins, my cousins, a couple of my cousins don't like it. And it's like, I'm sorry. It's my truth. And it's what I heard. Yeah. I'm not going to deny it. Yeah. I don't yeah, think our no, ancestors I mean, want us to suffer. I don't think they want us to carry on the burden of their suffering. No, and they I think they want us to. Want they want us to move on. They want us to be happy, and they want us to know it. Life should be love. You know, gratitude is the secret of life, and love is the 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 nutrition that we give it. And yeah, I just I don't know. Yeah, we could go on for hours on this topic alone, but yeah. I don't know that anybody would want to hear this. So, so we uh, won't right now. Beautiful. But maybe I'll have you back for that. Yeah, I'm I do have a couple more questions. Because, well, thank you. <laughs> um, I do have a couple of more questions. Now, you had um, mentioned that on 9-11, you heard the words, gather women. Now, you were in California, I'm going to guess, when, when you woke up to the, the buildings being, right. the planes going into the buildings. Okay, yeah. And so you were three hours behind, I guess. Um, and we had already been, it was, it was noon here. There was so much going on. And you heard the words, gather women. And for you, those words were your marching orders. So you followed through based on just those two words and you gathered women of diverse faiths to protect all that they considered sacred. Do you feel that was divine guidance or was it perhaps a knowing within yourself that this is what you are meant to do while you are here in this lifetime on this planet? Well, I don't see a difference between the two. I think that it was divine guidance to do what my soul was calling me to do. So, yes, I do. And I didn't have a choice in the matter. Um, yeah. I, it was my mother archetype, you know. And, and um, I, I did, being Jewish, I was wondering, what are Muslim women doing? With, what are they sending to school? That morning, I didn't know if I should send my kids to school. So, heavens, what would... You know, because I think it wasn't too long before we, you know, discovered that it was Islamic terrorists. And I didn't know any Muslims. And so I went out looking for Muslims, not by design. It's just the way our community was is designed in Orange mm -hmm. County, California. It's not designed for multiculturalism in that way, Chris, you know, cross-pollinating multicultures, uh, multiple cultures. So I found myself in some living room dialogues by the Human Relations Commission in our county who brought us together as interfaithful people and that's how I found the women and um, we called ourselves Sarah as the mother of all nations so it was a combination of responding to um, my calling perhaps because I you know maybe I'm a natural like I'm it's now it's comfortable for me to speak up and go everyone this way you know I'm going to be the head of you know the, the cheerleader or what have you that's just my nature it's not everybody's of course and um and it, it's gotten me in trouble too <laughs> but, um, so you know it just happens to be what I'm made of and um and so it was easy for me to do that but again got out of the way when I opened my front door um and I I've always been very interested in what makes people Pick. You know, I, what informs you? What, what, tell me about your religion and your culture. I want to smell your house. I want to eat your favorite music that, that you like. You know, I've always been really fascinated by multiculturalism. Um, 
so much that I didn't even realize it until I started going into Middle Eastern homes and homes that were not, you know, you know, um, second generation Americans, and like I like I am, and barely. My parents were barely born here, um, but um, but not, nonetheless second generation. And so um, I, that's that's how you learn about somebody really and get to know them at, and. It's so necessary when you're trying to create peace in a community. The only thing you really need to do is to get to know what you care about and find your common ground. Now, Sarah is still the Spiritual and Religious Alliance for Hope. That's what Sarah stands for. That's still in existence? Yes. You know, for the first 10 or 15 years, we were very much community-based. Um, and then we started to ebb a little bit. And we've done this every seven years, ironically. Every seven years, we kind of ebb and flow. It's like time to pull back, go quiet, think about what needs to happen. Then we come on strong and do a, real, a lot um, in a really big way. And then we're kind of in that ebb now. But before this recent ebb, we um, were flowing pretty heavily for in 2021, our online when we went online thanks to COVID we were forced online and that really expanded our borders and I do mean that sincerely thanks to COVID we we um, our complexion changed a little bit we weren't doing the in-person stuff we weren't doing the gathering the community in rooms together which is very powerful or out doing community service together and the stuff that we or panels at universities and all the different things we've done over the years now we're doing online programming, and we adopted the Beijing 12 critical areas of concern. These are 12 issues that the UN women have identified as critical areas of concern for women and girls. We took a month, every, uh, a month for every every um, issue, and we had um, experts, thought leaders, authors, you know, el- you know, and indigenous elders also on every call talking about that particular issue. And so that was our General Congress of Women initiative. It was also to honor the 150th anniversary of the Mother's Day Proclam of the of the Mother's Day Proclamation and the hundredth anniversary of the Right to Vote Amendment for women. So it was twenty twenty vision, if you will. <laughs> coming mm. forward. And now we're doing our sacred we had one today as a matter of fact. And we're taking those twelve issues to us the women of Sarah, not just hearing it in indigenous grandmothers and elders who held the sacred space in our calls, but now it's us discussing these things as women of our communities. So we've just, we've, we're still in existence. We, you know, you can go to Sarah, the number four, hope.org, and see what we're doing and what we've done. And the Parliament of the World's Religions, so let me just say this real quick. Parliament of Religions, if you're interested in interfaith or multiculturalism, don't even don't even wait a second. Go to parliamentofreligions.org and check it out. The next parliament is coming to Chicago in 2023. It moves around the world. We're really lucky to have it in this country this year so or next year. So I recommend, you know, you do that. Get my little plug in there before I forget. Absolutely. And, you know, you've done so many things. And as you said, you chaired so many um, large organizations. And, and as I mentioned in the introduction, you're also the founder of Compassionate California, which recently became established into law as the first compassionate state in the world, in the world, by the governor's office. 
I think that yeah. that's very impressive. How did that come about? <laughs> that wasn't that that I brought that home to Sarah. I was at a conference and I heard about the Charter for Compassion International, which is an organization, uh, CharterForCompassion.org. And when they they this was an organization that was launched with Karen Armstrong's TED Prize. She received the very first TED Prize for her compelling argument that compassion is all that's needed to to heal the world. And some folks took that charter, these four paragraphs that that she what she did with her prize money, and she actually wrote the charter, and these four paragraphs, and developed the Cities of Compassion initiative around them where mayors, city council, corporate heads, um, departments of education and health, you know, the whole, across the, the spectrum of society, and in one city would all agree to this charter and start operating and making decisions in the light of compassion. And that would make that city a city of compassion. And that's where the work begins. So I heard about this could not get home fast enough and convene a board meeting and said, we've got to do this. We know everybody in our county. We know everybody in every city. You know, we know people at all of these places. So we have some influence. What could we do? And we thought, well, why don't we each go to our own cities and start feeling around? And the interest started to grow, and we had a handful of cities. And I thought, you know, we, why don't we just do the whole state until we can say, we are a state of compassion, and California lives in a state of compassion. We have that fun play on words. And um, it grew, and it grew, and uh, one of the conditions of a city of compassion initiative or a state of compassion, well, I, we were the first state of compassion initiative. Mexico City in Mexico, Mexico City is the city Mexico has been working on becoming a state, but we became a state first. Um, that we were the first to initiate it as an idea. Um, it was just being creative and listening and saying yes to a, a, a bodacious <laughs> idea. And um, and but one of the conditions of the city is not one organization should be leading it. It can't be led by an interfaithful group of women. It can't be led by you know the the boys club or any you know a boardery or anything. It has to be a, a round table horizontal leadership. Initiative, and so we pulled back. Our team pulled back. I stayed on that committee, and then, um, and then I got, you know, really. That's where the real work happens at the government level. So, I wasn't at the. I mean, I was in the beginning of getting it to the governor's office, but I, I was off the board because I was there. Was just getting too busy, and I was writing a book. Um, and doing other work, and um, so it was time for me to go, but it became a city. I just, in full integrity, I wasn't there when it was ordained by the governor, but um, but we definitely, you know, created the first state of compassion. And that's yeah, sure. Why do compassion? Yeah. Why, I mean, why, why do the city when you can do the whole state? Go big or go home. <laughs> right, but that's where the work begins. And I thought, okay, if every city does this, then we're not like, it's just like, down, right? It was right, grassroots right. meets up, and it was just it, all of your cities that are doing this. Yeah. And what is the website? Compassion. Oh, charterforcompassion.org. Mm-hmm. Charter and I don't know. I, it was, okay. and you know, I was volunteering for them also soon after that, and it was on one of those volunteer meetings that I said, "Where are the women and girls? You know, you've got education and healthcare and restorative justice and science, and you've got all these sectors." 
for this initiative, Where's Women and Girls? So I was handed the kinks to a template, I mean, not a template, a, a blank slate, and I developed the Women and Girls sector. So um, it's also just really good timing. And again, just being, you know, following your bliss. Okay, so final question for the night. I'm going to say that we will be seeing your name on the 2024 presidential ballot. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> No, 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 no. I think I've I just thought that. Everything you've done, are you kidding? When you say, you know, well, why are we going to do the state? Let's do the whole state. I'm thinking, why not? Let's do the whole country. <laughs> Wait a minute. She might make a good president. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm joke. I'm, not, I'm laughing. First. I'm serious. <laughs> uh, I can't thank you enough for that vote of confidence that I think I'm far more effective. Um, just living in my own integrity here. We need somebody who's effective <laughs> and actually lives in integrity. <laughs> anyway, we're almost out of time, Sandy. I want to thank no you way. so much. Oh. It, it has truly been such a pleasure to have you join us from the Heart Radio. Before we go, though, would you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you, your work, and where they may purchase your book, The Liminal Odyssey? Oh, thank you. I just, can I just, before we rush off here, I, and I do that, let me just rain some acorns of love on you, and thank you so much <laughs> um, for holding this space and for doing what you do to to elevate the work of young people today. It's so necessary, and I'm so grateful, and I'm going to go look up Anna's work. Um, so you can go to sandyhard.com. Uh, you can also go to liminalodyssey.com or .org. And um, either place. And if you and the books on Amazon, it's any online bookseller, I believe you can get it. Um, in the very beginning of this call, you mentioned to you that I have five stars. I'm not afraid of getting four stars. I'm not. I, and uh, I'm not. And because that's how I grow. So if you like it, and you know, be honest, don't give me four stars because I'm looking for them. I really like my things. <laughs> But you get what I'm saying. That's Sandy's oyster shell, right? This is yes. what this is how we grow. So Amazon. But if you go to my website, liminalodyssey.com, and you get the book and use the passcode Alchemy, you get a little discount. You get a little something in the book, a little gift, and um, and free shipping. Great. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for your kind words. I appreciate that as well. And yeah, you do. We all like, you know, to get five stars and we want people to be honest, but you deserve the five stars that you got. So I had to bring that up because it's not often that somebody is just nothing else but five stars. So I needed to mention it. Okay, oh, listeners, you. we you. you're welcome. We need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on From the Heart Radio. So please share it with your friends. We live in a most challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the focus to do that. Please share good news by sending the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at From the Heart Radio, I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at From the Heart Radio. Please also check out Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. 
where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need, 100%, were run solely by volunteers. There are no salaries, no stipends, no compensation of any kind to anyone. Every penny goes to it, underprivileged children. And right now, we are helping subsidize the cost of mental health sessions for children who might not otherwise receive this much-needed therapy. And this is vitally important. All children deserve a fair chance for a good life, and that starts with mental health. Children need help, and together we can provide them the help they need. So please consider donating to SOGKids.org. Every penny counts, and every donation makes a difference. And if you'd like to sponsor a child, please visit SOGKids.org to learn how. At SOGI Huggles, we are investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. Thank you for taking time to visit our website. So that's S-O-J-I-K-I-D-S.org. Please follow us on Twitter. At NRG, at, yeah, at NRG Aware Radio and at Soji Huggles. While you're in your social media accounts, please be sure to like us on Facebook, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. We shall leave you with From the Heart Radio's Thought for the Week, a quote from Dr. Anil Kumar Sinha. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. I am your host, T-Love, here at From the Heart Radio, intending you and yours a most enjoyable week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.